1 Peter 3, 1, King James Version. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may be, may without the word, be won by the conversation or the behavior of the wives. Verse 7. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. My title is the last phrase of 1 Peter 3, 7, that your prayers be not hindered. It sounds pretty spiritual to me. God bless you. Please be seated. And I believe in understanding the Bible, that scripture, any particular passage has one interpretation, but it has many applications. There's a lot of application of scripture that can be understood. So whether or not a particular text or sermon or lesson, Bible study is exactly where you are, there's a lot of application that you can make in your life. Amen. Praise God. One famous man said, by all means, marry. If you get a good wife, you will become very happy. If you get a bad one, you will become a philosopher. Socrates said that. Someone said the scripture of marriage is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When you were married, if you are married, you really didn't probably know exactly what you were doing. You might have thought you did and who you were marrying and who you were and what marriage was about. But 44 years into marriage, I can tell you that marriage is a, a work of God on earth and it's a work in progress as long as you live. So practical change takes place in our lives when we understand that there is a need to change. And our culture, I don't have to convince you of this, but our culture is shaking and come apart, coming apart at the seams because of the breakdown of God's ideal of the family. Family failure has led to societal failure in so many ways. And the church is the best hope of restoring culture back to God's ideal. God created the family, male, female family, before he purchased the church with his blood. It is a foundational institution on earth. The family is earth's highest heaven and earth's hardest school. Amen. But marriage doesn't have to be tolerated. It can be enjoyed in a blessing. And over time, it can be the greatest relationship that God can provide for you. For all the single folks in the church, I would like to let the married people know that Jesus Christ never married, never had children. We do not think there was something wrong with him. He was the perfect one and the only perfect one. He chose to come and never marry. He certainly could have married if that was his prerogative. But in God's plan, he had a special mission in life. And the Apostle Paul seems to have either 
never been married or married and then some time that we don't even know about uh, was not married. But he said he could lead about a wife as Cephas and other apostles did. But the apostle Paul that we read and study a lot about, uh, not about him, but his writings and even his writings on marriage relationships and family, <clears throat> Paul was never married or was not married at least in his time as a Christian. First Peter 3, 1 through 7 is some practical teaching on gender roles and mutual love and respect that must exist in marriage. Verses 1 through 6 are directed more toward wives. Verse 7 is directed more toward husbands. I'll explain why I think wives needed six verses and husbands needed one later. It is more fair than you might think. But there is a great need to give some instruction and some help to wives. This passage is directed to wives in the church whose husbands were unsaved. So the apostle Peter is trying to help them win their unsaved husbands to God. That is the context of this passage. So when you understand this, the apostle Peter has got to help these ladies win their husbands to God. In their culture, if a man came to the Lord, a husband, typically his family came along with him. But if a wife was saved, she may have come to God alone without her husband. The Bible addresses what happens when a person comes to God and the unbelieving spouse chooses to break the marriage and leave. That believing person is not bound if the unbelieving spouse departs, they're free to marry, but only in the Lord. That's not after you've been married and living for God 20 years. That's at conversion, according to the writings of the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Peter needs to help these ladies know their best hope of bringing their husbands in truth. The application to me here is women understanding, wives understanding how best to influence their husbands or men toward a closer walk with God and taking leadership in the home. So there's advice for both. I've mentioned the inequity in the society just a little bit. There's a whole lot more about this. I had read this before, but I went back and kind of found some more background to this, that in that day, there was a prayer found in the Talmud that would say, Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me. And then the conclusion of that, a Gentile, a slave, and a woman. What a terrible prayer, right? It's not a biblical prayer, but it was developed later. And it is reflective of the attitude that that culture had toward women, sometimes more as a piece of property. Even in our country, we've seen the change in respect for women and their rights is a, is a citizen of our country. In those days, it was not that way at all. In the Greek world, sometimes women were asked to lead a secluded life, not to get out much, and so they lived a rather repressed existence, and the apostle Peter wants to help them. So we're going to walk through this passage. We read verse one, but let's read it again. Likewise, you wise, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they're not saved. They also may without the word be won by the conversation, a King James word, the behavior, the conduct of the wives. 
So purely, the apostle Peter says, I know your husband's not really as spiritual as he should be. He's not even serving God, but you should submit to him. And don't go home and preach reruns of the pastor's sermons to your unsaved husband. Don't preach to him is probably good advice in general. The apostle Peter says that he's going to be won by your behavior. Amen. Without the word. He hasn't even been to church yet. But he watched this wife come to God, watch her be saved, free from her sins, delivered from sinful habits. This ungodly husband has seen this amazing change in his wife. She's different than she was before she obeyed Acts 2.38. When she repented, was baptized in Jesus' name, received the gift of the Holy Ghost, she was a new creation in Jesus Christ. Old things passed away. She goes back home to the same home, the same husband, but she's different. And the apostle Peter says, your husband will see the difference in your life. And without you preaching to him, your life can win him to the Lord. That is the message of verse one. The eloquence of silence, someone said, may speak louder than words. And then the second thing, verse two, Peter gives a little explanation of how they're going to be one without exactly hearing his sermon. Now, let me pause to say, God shows by the foolishness of preaching to save them to believe. So, but this influence of this wife is gonna bring him toward the Lord. And this is what he's going to see. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Now, those are King James word. I'm staying in the King James on purpose but I'll cross-reference and triangulate a little bit with some other translations. The ESV, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, you're now saved, you're now holy. He is not. But he's going to watch the way your attitude toward him has changed since Jesus changed you. He's going to watch your conduct, that you are now respectful you are now pure and holy. You've laid down all the ungodly habits of your past. And your husband is watching this. The apostle Peter said, your husband's watching you. You may not know that. He may not tell you that. But he's watching to see the change that has taken place in your life. And this good and respectful conduct is really affecting him. Just a side note here, this pure and respectful conduct could be applied to say that it's never a good idea to humiliate or embarrass your spouse in front of other people, whichever direction that goes, husband toward wife or wife toward husband. And please, wives, no bruised ribs tonight for your husbands. I know they need this more than you. Chase means innocent, modest, clean, pure, the word fear, phobos in the Greek means reverence. Reverence for the Lord translates into respect for your spouse. In this case, the wife toward her husband. So she reverences God in her life. She respects her husband. That's admiration and respect in him. Verse three, who's adorning? Your husband's still watching your changed life. Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of the plaiting the hair. Wearing of gold, putting on of apparel. ESV again, 
Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing that you wear. And so this beauty, the NIV says, should not come from outward adornment. And the, the weaving of jewels in the hair was the custom that is referred to here, extravagant jewelry and all of that. And when we teach on apostolic identity, and uh, I taught this lesson on Wednesday, August 25th, 2021, back in August of last year, Brother Jury and I taught several weeks, maybe 10, 12 weeks on holiness and what is called lesson four, but it's broken down into a couple or three lessons, depending on how long it takes to get through that lesson. We address this from a holiness perspective, but you have to talk about it because it is in the pas- in the passage. So the apostle Peter is saying to these wives, do not attempt to influence your husband the same way worldly women influence men with seductive or flirtatious behavior to try to sway them. This is a caution in the way you dress and act and talk toward people of the opposite sex. Again, this is focused on the role of the wife and the woman. We don't ever want to send a signal to someone that our intentions would be misunderstood. And I've said this before, but I want to say it tonight that the Apostle Peter is saying to these wives, you need to focus on the inner beauty that doesn't change. It only gets better. Because outward beauty doesn't stay the same. And if outward beauty is the way you plan to catch and keep your man, it's a very competitive business. And you're not getting younger. Pardon me. I know I'm not either, but... The Apostle Peter says, you need to think about, you need to weigh carefully how you're maintaining this marriage, how you're winning your husband to the Lord. And it should be by your godly behavior that you have changed on the inside that you're not trying to just affect him by what is on the outside. Don't focus on this outward beauty. And then he he begins to tell them, tell these ladies about, godly women of old. He's going to tell them a story. And I want to just mention this, that some of the women that are mentioned in the Bible were very beautiful. Sarah was a beautiful woman and the envy of pagan kings. Rachel, the wife of Jacob, was a beautiful woman. Abigail, the wife of Nabal, and then after he died, the wife of King David, was in the Bible a beautiful woman. Queen Esther was the most attractive woman in the land. But when you read the story of Esther, for example, it was the radiance of her inner beauty that really outshined all the other virgins, all the other women in the provinces of Babylon that moved the heart of the king. Plaiting the hair, wearing of gold, the extravagant or immodest apparel, and deciding whether you are going to project femininity or sexuality And what game are you playing if it's a game? Now, the Bible speaks about this modest apparel in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I don't have this verse on the screens, but I just want to remind you, I've taught on this before, but the Apostle Paul talks about praying men and modest women. It's fascinating to me. It was pointed out to me by a friend in this passage that God knew that men needed to work on demonstrative worship 
and women needed to work on modesty. The Lord knows our particular challenges, and in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he certainly addresses it. 1 Peter 3, 4, verse 4. But let it be, you know, we're not focusing on this outward, external. Let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. There's something that God sees that is more beautiful and valuable to him than diamonds and jewels and all of that that people outside the kingdom adorn themselves with. He said, don't adorn yourself like that. Focus on the inner beauty. Uh, ESV says the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. This should be the focus. You've heard the poem that my grandfather taught me before, but I'll tell you again. He said, beauty's only skin deep, ugly's to the bone. Beauty slowly fades away, but ugly holds its own. Well, I don't know about ugly holds its own, but I will say this, that godly character never wrinkles. The apostle Excuse me, King David said, I was once young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Well, I will say that first part that I was once young and now might be considered old. But I will tell you that the principles of the word of God are true. And that if we focus on inner beauty, it lasts a lifetime. And women can become more beautiful in their spirit and their demeanor, and their godliness, their gentle and quiet spirit. Meek means not gentle as opposed to not brash, not overbearing, not a nag, or a gripe, or a complainer. The Bible said in Proverbs 19.13 that a foolish child is a calamity to his father, a quarrelsome wife is as annoying as constant dripping, like Chinese water torture. Now, I am in the Bible here about the Apostle Peter, that she, he may be one without the word. A husband who never allows a wife to speak and share her thoughts and have her opinion, that's an unhealthy marriage. This doesn't mean that that a wife has no voice, no value. Uh, we'll get to that. But this is advice from the Bible to wives that don't wear it out. You probably are undermining your cause by nagging. And I thank God that my wife does not nag. Do you, baby? <laughs> she does not. My wife is the most contented person conservative, no spending. She has, you know, she could buy whatever. She saves up all her money. She just doesn't care about that. Anyway, on Sunday, I said something that I purposely put in my notes again, close to that wording. I didn't copy and paste it. I was talking about your legacy and I said, the way you spoke to your spouse and children this morning is the legacy you are living and the one you'll leave. Now, this is Wednesday, but I want to remind you 
that how you conduct yourself. I know you may have had a lot against you in your life, but by the grace of God, we can overcome the effects of our life. Amen. Meek and quiet spirit. Unruffled in crisis. Uh, there's a word picture of keeping your seat. In other words, not jumping up in panic, but calm under crisis. That's the idea conveyed here. Verse five. For after this manner. Now, this is what's really neat about this. Watch the apostle Peter. He's going to tell us a little bit of a story. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God, they adorned themselves being in subjection under their own husbands. So I said, this isn't just some new doctrine in the New Testament. This goes all the way back into the Old Testament. Even all the way back, we'll learn in a minute to Sarah, the wife of Abraham. This has been the custom. This has been the teaching. This has been the practice of godly women throughout time not just the New Testament teaching. They trusted God, obeyed their husbands. Now, sometimes you may not trust the judgment of your husband. I hope you can trust his morals, his integrity, his honesty, but there is no man, no man who makes the right decision every time. And that is not what is implied here. It is implied, and it's pretty specific, that they trusted God and they understood the relationship of a husband and wife, and they obeyed the teaching or the practice of their husband. But when you feel insecure about submitting to God, then you try to manipulate your man because he's faulty and flawed. But if you trust God, you follow principles, and you trust God will take care. Now, if you think about this, you know, Sarah, Sarah really had trouble with Abraham because he didn't always do the right thing. You remember that, and this is the next verse, verse six, I'll read the verse and then tell this story. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, we're not going to talk about that phrase tonight, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, you become the spiritual daughter of Abraham, of, of Sarah rather. I wanted to say Abraham is considered the father of the faithful, but now the apostle Peter said, you're the daughters of Sarah if you understand these principles and live by them, whose daughters you are as long as you do well. And I'm going to paraphrase and do not freak out and give up on living by the Bible if you're not afraid with any amazement. Now, it, twice, you know, Abraham says to Sarah, this is Genesis 12, you're so beautiful. When we go down to Egypt, I want you to tell them you're my sister. Because if you tell them that you're my wife, they're going to kill me and take you. It's a terrible idea. It backfires on Abraham. The king of Egypt takes Sarah and God scares him, threatens to kill him. And it's all made right. Plagues Pharaoh's house because he's got Abraham's wife, Sarah. But now if I'm Sarah... I'm thinking, you know, Abraham, that was a really dumb idea. But I don't find in Scripture where she told him that, but God rebuked him. And that's always better, isn't it? So if you don't get afraid with any amazement, then God will be your advocate. But when you try to manipulate your will and way, 
when you try to force it, then I think you cheat God out of the opportunity of doing a better job with it than you could. Because I would rather, if I was a wife, I would rather God body slam my husband than me. And if you'll trust him, you'll look out for you, wives, ladies, if you'll trust him and live according to his word. Now, I told you there's six verses for wives, only one for husbands. Amazing approach. The apostle Peter actually makes two points to the wives, but then he's going to make two points for husbands. But understanding the difference between the nature of women and the nature of men, the, the Lord anoints the writing of the Apostle Peter to approach women a little more subtly, tell a story, break it to them easily, don't be too, you know, confrontational here. He's a little tactful, uses word picture, the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. You can see that, right? So the Apostle Peter is really trying to do that. Amen. Tells these stories of holy women of old and Sarah, but not for men. For the men, he gets right to the point. He has two points for the men, but it's just the facts. In one pithy verse, he makes two verses, two points for men, and then he warns men of the consequences of not living by the Bible. So men, here we go. Verse seven. Likewise, you husbands. Dwell with them according to knowledge, okay? That's the first thing. Giving honor unto the wife is unto the weaker vessel and is being heirs together of the grace of life and then the consequences that your prayers be not hindered, positive and negative consequences. So wives are told, you know, that they are to be in subjection to their husbands and to focus on inner beauty, but men are now going to be told to dwell with their wives according to knowledge, and to honor them. Now, this means that men are to live with their wives in an understanding way. We can have perfect confidence in the Bible that God knows what he's doing. So I'm going to tell you men a little more bluntly than I would tell our sweet, precious ladies that just as the Apostle Peter doesn't waste time and superfluous information, I've learned, I'm raising my hand, that men can be clumsy in relationships. Unfortunately, men can be focused too much on themselves and not give themselves for their families as Christ gave himself for the church. Men can miss clues. I will just say this now, ladies that we're not that smart. We do not understand hints. We just don't. I'm sorry. It, it is like a foreign language to us. I know you think we should get it, but we just don't. We, we're not equipped that way. So it doesn't really work. I, I, before we had children... I told this at a marriage retreat, 2015, according to my notes. Uh, I came home from the church. Uh, we, again, we didn't have kids yet. When I walked in the door, that, like the, 
dining room was a little dark, you know, you can barely see. And uh, so I went over and turned on the light right away and sat down, eat my vittles, you know, going to eat dinner. And my wife is sitting there looking at me, smiling. And she said, like, you notice anything? I'm like, no, not really, you know. Well, there's a candle here, you know, it looks real nice, you know. And the, like, now, I know you're not like that, but I can be like that. Very focused, very focused. I've told men before, if you will buy a book on how to be a better husband and just put it on the nightstand, it will help your marriage. Just that. It will give your wife hope. Women are amazing at wanting to learn and self-help and relationships. They do, they do awesome at that. And, and I learned this back in the day when I worked at headquarters. They, did, they started having ladies retreats. They were successful. And Pentecostal Publishing House would took, take displays of books. And they would sell thousands of dollars worth of books at these ladies' conferences. They were all about relationships. And women were buying these books. So then, you know, men are a little slow. Then they started having men's conferences. Pentecostal Publishing House loaded up the truck, put a, got a trailer, took all these books to men's conferences, self-help, how to love your wife, how to be, and they hardly sold anything. I am not making this up. I am not exaggerating. And, and here's the simple reason, we, all of us men know this, we don't need those books. We inherently know that's why we never ask for directions. We will figure it out eventually. Gas has come down a little bit. We can always fill her up again if we're lost. We're not going to say we're lost. We just want to go the scenic route, right? And I know you're not like this. I'm exaggerating just a little bit, but not that much. See, men read things like popular mechanics, car and driver, Sports feel they read different things, but they're not good as they should be at relationships. That's why the Bible knows men. God knows men. And he said, men, you need to dwell with your wife according to knowledge. You need to read that book. You need to pay attention when your pastor's teaching on 1 Peter chapter 3. You don't know what you think you know. You're not born with superior understanding and knowledge. Amen. <laughs> so, he says, dwell with them according to knowledge. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Now, something funny, really funny and awesome happened this week. Uh, we just started small groups. And there is a small group of men. And uh, Brother Bob Newman leads this small group. It is called metalworking. I told him he needs to change it to heavy metal working. And he said that sounded great to him, but I told him he'd have to ask Kinsey Johns because she's over small groups. So anyways, metalworking. And, and he posted this and it was sent to me. I asked for his permission if I could read this tonight because this is, this is, this is purely satirical by Brother Bob, but it's really how guys are, right? Running sound, if he turns me off, then I know that I'm in lots of trouble. Now this is, so he's the leader of this group. He wrote this tribute. He said, 
I was blessed on Father's Day to receive one of the special gifts for dads. One of the things it contained was a bag of black rifle vintage roast coffee. So to kick off our metalworking small group, last night I made some black rifle coffee. I made it strong. I'm using my own voice inflection, but I hope I'm doing this right. <laughs> heavy duty. I made it in a rugged, heavy duty, stainless steel percolator. The way real men make their coffee. And then, this just sounds a little stereotypical, right? And then we began. We did not discuss our feelings. We did not share our hopes, nor even our dreams. What we did do is light up some high-pressure gas torches. And we sanded, and we ground, and we applied acids, and we heated up elemental metals so hot that they flowed together like water, fused as one for all of eternity. Well, till the apocalypse anyway, he said. And I don't know if it was the strong coffee or the heat or the flame or the fumes, but something in the air made us all feel very rugged and very manly and very happy. <laughs> I nominate Brother Bob Newman for a Pentecostal Pulitzer. What do you think? Well done. <laughs> Amen. So, men, roll up your sleeves, go to work, dwell with them according to knowledge. Lifelong challenge because men don't necessarily do well at that. And that's why the Apostle Peter told us to do that because that's what we need. So then the second thing he says, I'm kind of scanning through a few things here uh, in my notes that I don't really have time to drill down into. Uh, you can read books that will tell you some things that women and wives in particular struggle with that maybe they need help with and understanding of. And you, don't, you do not know it. I, as amazing of a husband as I am, I do not know this without learning this. I have to work at it. I'm being facetious and you think I'm being serious about as amazing of a husband. The second thing, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the gift or grace of life. So the apostle Peter says, you need to honor your wife. Brother Phil, if you don't mind, bring that bag to me, please. Um, so I thought, you know, like that, that wives were supposed to honor their husbands. And I'm sure that certainly that's true. But that is not what the Bible says here. That is not what the apostle Peter says here. You're to honor her as the weaker vessel and as an heir together of the grace of life. Now, in many cases, the wife is physically weaker than the man, not always. I've known of cases where it was not, like the lady in Ohio got in a fight with her husband and threw him out of their mobile home. And, and they, were in, they were in the church. He got thrown out of the church or something like that. So there are exceptions. Now we got this heels and handgun thing going on, so I'm a little nervous about that. 
I have in my hand a stronger vessel. This is my handy-dandy metal percolator, Brother Newman, coffee pot. It's made for hunting and camping. This is a stronger vessel. You could toss it, pack it in your gear. It's not totally impervious to being dinged up or damaged, but it's been on some trips and that's what it is. It's, it's a stronger vessel. But, but I also have a weaker vessel. And I'll just make this note that my wife did say to me just before I came up here, you know, we got that in Russia. Like, I think that meant, be careful, honey. Now, you could say this is a weaker vessel. It's a little more fragile than my metal coffee pot but it's much more valuable than that. And I'm being very serious right now that it wasn't made to be thrown around, hit, punched, kicked, screamed at, mistreated, overworked, abused in any way. It was made to be honored as a weaker vessel, but then he says, as an heir together of the grace of life a weaker vessel, but an equal vessel, an equal in this way, many ways, and superior in many ways, equal in the right to a good, godly life, the gift of life, as an heir together of the grace of life, that she deserves to have an enjoyable life like you deserve to have an enjoyable life. She is to be honored like that. My grandfather had six girls, no boys. My mom was a John. She married a John's. She's the oldest. But my daddy, Doc, when each of those girls was married, he had a conversation with the son-in-law-to-be. He said, I want to tell you something. Told George and Tommy and Mike and Harold. He told uh, Bill, told Alan, told them all. I'm the only man that's ever spanked this girl in her life. And if you ever think she needs a spanking, bring her back to me. I'm the only man that's ever spanked her. But if you ever lay your finger on my daughter, he told them something that you know, was not ungodly what he said, but basically they would go to heaven or somewhere else. That he was not playing. That's his girl's. And the Bible makes this very clear. These two pungent, punchy points to men. That you are to live with her in an understanding way. And you are to honor her. For the part of her nature that may not be as strong as yours. But then also the part of her nature that is equal to yours and I know we could have a debate, but I would be side with the women here that's superior in many ways. And you've heard me say before, you know, God made Adam. He looked at him and God said, I can do better. And then he made Eve. So anyway. Protect from physical harm, financial insecurity and distress, 
overwork, emotional collapse, protecting from the disrespect of children. At three boys, I told my wife, these boys are going to test you. They're all strong. They're going to test you. One of my heroes, Brother J.T. Pugh, his son, one of his sons was disrespecting Sister Bessie, his wife. And he took that boy and he said, son, let me tell you something. That's my wife. She was my wife before she was your mother. And no one ever talks to my wife that way. You hear me, boy? Protective. Honor her as an equal vessel. And then the apostle Peter said, after all of that, that your prayers be not hindered. Verse 7. That last phrase. This is an amazing phrase to me. Because all of these practical teaching points that he makes to wives and husbands. And I've thought this through a lot. It's possible this last phrase could apply to both husbands and wives or maybe men only. We don't know for sure. But I think it primarily applies to men. That if you do not live with your wife in an understanding way and honor her, there's somebody over you. I've entrusted you with the leadership of your home and family. But don't abuse it. Because if you don't treat your wife right, and if you don't lead your family right, when you come to me and you need an answer to prayer, your prayer is going to be hindered. It means to be cut off. Your prayer is going to be stopped midair. Because I'm not listening to the prayer of someone who abuses the people that I've allowed to be in their life that they should protect. That your prayers be not hindered. You see, there's a flow of authority comes from God to a husband, to a wife, to children. There's also a flow of protection that comes from God of the children, of the wife, from the husband. So we need to make sure that we live by the Bible. And I will say this in application to the ladies. There's, there's advice to ladies and I believe it could be true that your prayers can be hindered when you're living in, in subordination to the Bible and disobedience to the Bible. Men and women, we can all make our excuses of why we choose to go against the Bible, to make it work the way we think it ought to be. But then we go to God and we need him. And he's saying, wait a second, you know what to do here. And when you make that right, then the prayers will be answered. You remember the teachings of Jesus. He said, if you go to the temple to offer your gift, and while you're there offering your gift, your gift you remember that you've got a fractured relationship ought against your brother. There's an offense. Jesus said, you leave your gift at the altar. You go make that relationship right. So make it right. And once you get that done, then you come back. John said, how can you say you love God that you cannot see if you hate your brother or your sister that you can see? We want to get relationships right because they're very spiritual. And in fact, I believe all that matters in life is relationships. 
And the older I get, things like amazing teapots from Russia, as valuable as it is, I've got seven grandchildren running around our house and, you know, our attitude, the vase gets broken like the other day, like, so what? You know, glue it back, put it behind something green, they'll never know. It doesn't matter, it's just stuff. But people and relationships matter forever. 